your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. I'm Mark Haywood alongside Michael Stewart, and he is the founder of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial with an office in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Find him online at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. Michael has his MBA in finance and is a registered financial consultant. He co-authored a book, Purpose-Based Investing, Nine Lessons to Rescue Your Retirement from Wall Street. You can find that on Amazon, of course, as everything else, it seems, these days. And Michael, with that, hello and welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to be with you, Mark. Pleasure to be with you as well. We'll waste no time in jumping in. we got a lot we want to cover today. We want to jump into some financial debates. Maybe you can help settle those debates. And we want to take your listener questions. We love hearing from our listeners. But first, extra, extra, read all about it. That's right. We do like to take time out to see what's going on in the world around us and see how it might affect our finances. Michael, the national debt has now surpassed the $21.4 trillion mark. At what point does the debt become a problem? And I should say that 21.4 is what's in the notes, but by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be even more. Yeah, this is true. It became a problem probably 10, 15 years ago, but you know, still just discussing it, kicking the can down right now. Yeah, if you could just go back 10 years ago, in 2008, we had $10 trillion in national debt. And now, just 10 years later, we've more than doubled that at well over $21 trillion. And this is during a nine-year bull market and economic expansion. So what's going to happen during the next economic recession or slowdown? Another thing is we've got rising interest rates right now, and that's good for your savings, but it's not good for the government debt that has to be refinanced. Remember, they were loaning money out at zero, one, two percent And as interest rise, as it comes due and it matures, they don't have the money to pay for it, right? So they got to go reissue it at higher interest rates. You know, and that doesn't even include anything like Social Security and Medicare. You know, you might as well add another $100 trillion of unfunded liabilities there. If you really want to get scared, go to usdebtclock.org. That's usdebtclock.org. And it's a running total of our national debt, state debts, and all of these things. And it's going to scare the crap out of you. And what you're going to find out is that we are indebted $65,000 per man, woman, and child in this country just on the national debt alone or $176,000 per taxpayer. Every U.S. taxpayer right now has the equivalent of a mortgage that the government owes on their behalf. And now some of the bigger concerns, you know, we're talking about the $21 trillion associated with the federal government. State and local governments have $3 trillion in debts and $6 trillion in unfunded pension obligations. Now, if all things start falling apart, the federal government can print more money. States and municipalities can't. So on our next economic downturn, at the state and local level, we've got to raise taxes, cut services, or both. So this is not going to end well. And it's why we're doing proactive planning with a lot of our clients to prepare for this next downturn, because tax rates are going to have to go up because of these debts and the fact that in a slowdown, you know, they're going to have to find the money from somewhere. And they're going to find it from the people that have it, not the people that don't. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. If you listen to a recent podcast that we did, you might remember us talking about taxes and how they're so low right now, but really the only way to solve a deficit is to raise taxes or cut spending. And folks seem to be at the moment continuing to spend, which means that presumably only taxes are going to go up, 
but it will certainly be interesting to see how that debt scenario plays out. I know it's something that's been around for a long time and we're only going to keep talking about it, I'm sure, but that is why it's a good idea to be prepared on your end as the listener, as the retiree, to do all the planning that you can so that no matter what happens on the national scale, you are protected and can experience a sound retirement. All right, Michael, let's move over and hear from one of the listeners. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. This week's question comes to us from Helene in Milwaukee. Helene says, is it okay to have several different IRAs or should I consolidate? Be ready for this. I have seven accounts. Yeah, that's not unusual. Maybe seven might be a little unusual, but it's not unusual for individuals with three, four, five, either IRAs that they set up at different places or old 401ks, all these kind of random accounts floating out there. And many times clients don't even know what they own in them. And, you know, on our side for our practice, one hand needs to know what the other one's doing. In Helene's case, although it's seven different IRAs, it's still just one household, right? So all that money should be invested all going towards that same purpose towards retirement here. So you can invest in anything you want, even if you only have one account. So you don't have to have seven different accounts to incorporate seven different strategies. So some of the things that I would look at is one, you coordinate them all to make sure that the household allocation makes sense. And the easiest way to do it is just to consolidate them if possible, or at least maybe go from seven to two. The second thing is it's going to allow you to avoid duplication or having overlapping holdings. You know, so if everything that you own is in, say, large cap stock funds in here and you're like, I'm diversified because I've got seven accounts and seven different funds. If all seven funds own the same stuff, you're not diversified. It's all going to go in the same direction, good or bad. The third thing you'd look at is when you have that many accounts, how do you know the fees that you're actually paying? Some accounts may have annual fees. Some you may be paying management fees. You know, and the fourth thing is, you know, each individual investment carries its own internal costs. Are they high? Are they low? What's your total portfolio costs? Because every dollar you can save in fees is a dollar of gains in your profit. And it's kind of hard to know with seven accounts. So Helene, whether it's with us or someone else, what I would recommend is sit down with a financial planner, somebody who's a fiduciary and say, hey, you know, I want to really coordinate everything, get my hands wrapped around everything that I've got going on, because right now it's kind of scattered. And that'll just give you more confidence as you move forward. And of course, we wish you nothing but the best, Helene. Good luck as you move forward in retirement. And do not hesitate to contact us with any more specific questions. We can dive into the nitty gritty of those accounts, help you to consolidate and develop a plan for your money. All right, Michael, let's kind of jump into the main topic of the show today. I want you to help us settle some financial debates. So depending on who you ask, you could get very different answers to some of retirement planning's most complicated and important questions. I just want to see where your opinions are on these issues. I guess we should emphasize that these are just opinions, but I want to hear your thoughts on these different issues, insurance, mutual funds, annuities, etc. And we'll try to see as well why there's so many opinions out there. So a popular debate, what's the better thing to do first, pay off debt or build up savings? On all these answers, since they are just opinions, I'll try not to soapbox and I'll try to keep them relatively short. So when we get the question, what's better, should I pay off my debt or my mortgage or build up savings? You know, now there's good debt and bad debt. You know, really it's all debt's bad debt, but you know, some things you might need to have like a car loan or a mortgage or so. So let's assume it's not credit card debt, you know, so credit card debt is always the first and foremost, what you pay off. You know, but really, whether it's building up savings or paying off debt, it really depends on your age. So the younger that you are, it's better to invest it rather than pay down the debt. 
because with the debt, you know, you have a structured set cost. And yeah, you're paying some interest, but in today's interest rate environment, you're probably going to do better on the investing side over there. Not because we think in any one given year, the market's going to go up, down, sideways, whatever it happens to be. It's because of just time value of money and compound returns. And there's something called a rule of 72, which is how long does it take you to double your money? So if you're averaging, let's say 10%, you know, in the market or so, it's going to take you seven years to double your money. So if you're 30, 40, 45 years old, you're better off actually investing in yourself to allow time over the next 20 plus years to grow that money, double it, you know, one, two, three times over before you actually need it compared to just whittling away at maybe, you know, a mortgage or car payment or so. Now, if you're approaching retirement, if you're 55, 60, 65 years of age, thinking about retirement within the next few years, then just the opposite is true. We don't have that time to compound returns and the whole rule of 72. What we need to do is focus on cash flow, which is pay down as many debts and obligations as possible rather than invest so that as we approach retirement, we don't need as big of a cash flow from our investments. So, you know, it really depends on your age. So the younger you are, you're better off investing and, in, you know, whether it's in savings or market related things. And then the older you are, then we want to tackle any in all debts ahead of time. And this next one kind of goes along that same train of thought talking about debt. Some people argue good debt and bad debt, et cetera. Is it best to pay off your house as soon as possible or keep a mortgage as long as you can? Yeah, it kind of ties in back to that last question. You're right on that one. So, you know, what interest rate are you paying on the mortgage? You know, we have individuals, especially when it's like, you know, home equity lines of creditors. So with the market having boomed the last few years, individuals will come in and say, you know, hey, you know, I've got a 6% mortgage and, you know, I think I could get double digit returns in the market. You know, I should invest instead of pay down my mortgage, you know, and they're approaching retirement. We'll say, no, if I could give you a 6% guaranteed return, would you take it? They say, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'd like. Well, then pay down the debt you know, or they owe 18% on credit cards. I can give you an 18% return, pay down the debt. So the same thing works with your mortgage. What's the interest rate? What other savings or income that you have and what's your retirement time frame? If you're younger, then invest and save and build up kind of your war chest so that time will take care of growing that money. If you're a lot closer to retirement, we're more worried about your cash flow in retirement, which means that if we don't have a $2,000 principal and interest mortgage going into retirement, that's $2,000 less a month or $24,000 a year that we don't need to earn just to pay off a debt. All right, Michael, let's talk insurance here for a second. When you're buying life insurance, do you want term life or permanent life insurance? Depends on who you're talking to. If you talk to an insurance agent, they'll tell you permanent because they make about a 90% commission year one, 50% year two. You know, so it depends on who you're asking. So from a financial planning standpoint, it all comes down to what's the purpose of the insurance. Is it a permanent coverage or a temporary coverage? And let me give you two examples. So a permanent coverage, we're working with a couple right now that he took a life-only pension, which means it ends when he does, but he's married and his wife's younger. Now, he made that decision before he worked with us, but it is what it is because it's irrevocable. So they took out a permanent life insurance policy. So in the event that he passes and that pension goes away, she gets a large lump sum of money that'll basically replace that income. That's a permanent need because we don't know when he's going to pass. On the flip side, the purpose of term insurance and why it's so cheap is let's say that, you know, you've got 15 years left on your mortgage, you know, and you've got some savings and you just want to make sure that if that bus comes along and takes, you know, you or your spouse out, that the mortgage gets paid off 
or that there's an income replacement or so, but it's only needed from now until the time that mortgage goes away because that debt goes away. In that case, don't pay for expensive permanent insurance. You just need a 15-year term policy that's going to bridge that gap just in case life happens somewhere in between. So that's the difference. Always with any kind of insurance, especially life insurance, you just say, what's the purpose of the insurance? Is it for a temporary need like a mortgage or obligations or near-term income replacement until retirement? Or is it a permanent need, meaning that when I'm 85, I still need this insurance? All right, Michael, this next bit of the podcast, I want to go through just a few different types of products here. I don't know why I snapped my fingers. I guess it's rapid fire, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> but just tell me if these products are good or bad. Should you own them? Should you not? Let's start with mutual funds. No good or bad. That really goes for any investment. You know, the key thing, whether it's mutual funds, stocks, individual bonds, whatever, what do you need? Do you need to be balanced? How liquid does it need to be? Are you diversified? Are they tax efficient for you? Most mutual funds aren't. If it's in a non-retirement account, what fees are you paying? So all those things, you know, work into that equation. And in that same line of thinking, would you put annuities in that same category of they're just a tool, really? No, absolutely. It's just a tactical play on there. You know, there's no good or bad, suitable or not. Here's what I tell clients when they say, I don't like annuities. I say, neither do I, but I like what they do. If you want to ensure that your principal's safe, if you like that it might be able to go up if the market goes up, but you don't lose anything if the market declines, if you want low or no internal fees or potential lifetime income that you can't outlive, if you like those things, then annuities might be a fit. If you don't, well, then they aren't. And then finally, Michael, let's talk gold. That's one that's long been debated. Should you own it or should you not? I think we actually did a podcast on this several months ago. It's a trade, not an investment. So Barron's just wrote a piece back on September 22nd on why you should own gold, diversification, non-correlated asset, and it had about a lot of half-truths in it. But really, in the digital age, when physical gold is no longer backing foreign currencies, there's no value in gold other than jewelry as it's a trade. Do you think it's going to go up or down in the near term? That's really all it is. There's no store of value in it because it has no control. You know, going back to the early 70s and prior, gold is what currencies, foreign currencies, including the U.S. dollar, were backed on. Once we got off the gold standard in Nixon, then gold has no material value associated with that. So the biggest issue I have with gold is that unlike stocks, there's no earnings to propel it higher. You know, there's no great earnings report that all of a sudden is going to make it go up. And unlike a bond, it doesn't pay yield or interest. So to me, it's a trade, not an investment. Because if there's no earnings that are going to propel it higher in a normal and kind of sustainable way, and it's not going to pay me to own it like a bond, then it's a trade hoping that it goes up rather than an investment that's something that I feel comfortable holding on to for the next 5, 10, 20 years. Well, Michael, we thank you for lending in your opinions and your expertise into some of these different popular financial debates. If you're listening right now and you'd like to have Michael lend his expertise to your particular financial situation, he'd love to sit down and meet with you. Michael, what does it look like for somebody to call into the office, come in for a visit, and just get answers to some of their retirement questions? Yeah, really, it's just a conversation. You know, if we can add value to what you're currently doing, that's what it is. We have what we call a discovery meeting. Discovery meeting is you come in for an hour. It's pro bono. We don't charge you for it. And just find out where you are, where you're trying to go. And if we think we can add value and there's a fit between the two of us, then that's great. We'll talk about how to move forward and kind of get a plan put together. Now, if we're not a good fit, that's okay, too. We're all adults. Then you get your questions answered. And hopefully, you know, you're in a better place than when you walked in the door. 
Well, you heard the man. If you'd like to reach out to Michael Stewart, just have that conversation, get the conversation started, and find out whether you might be a good fit for each other. Just reach out to the team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Call 815-526-3092. That's 815-526-3092. Michael Stewart, the founder of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. It's a one-stop shop with a CPA, enrolled agent, and paralegal all on staff. They can help you when it comes to all things financial and any retirement matters. And of course, Michael, we'd like to thank you for talking about retirement matters with us today on the podcast. All right, I'll see you around the bend, Mark. We'll do it all again next time on another edition of Retirement Matters. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof.